Hello and welcome to this episode of OD and Chill. Um, this is episode 146. My name's Martin Cox. I'm the, um, the tech director at Overdose Australia um, and I'm lucky to be joined here by the one and only Brendan Ridge from EHP Labs, the head of innovation at EHP, which I'll grill you on in a minute what that means. Um, we're here, we both cracked a can of EHP's signature Oxy Shred, um, now available in all good supermarkets and 7-Elevens and pretty much anywhere you get your get your energy fix. Um, and um, yeah, just wanted to start off by wishing a happy Black Friday Cyber Weekend to the entire e-com industry. It's a big time of year and um, I guess the fact that we're sitting on here right now means we're not currently dealing with any major issues, touch wood, and I hope everyone else who's listening is feeling exactly the same. So yeah, Brendan, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Martin. Great to be here, mate. And uh, yeah, look, I think this is the first Black Friday again, touch wood, that uh, we haven't been putting fires out uh, internally, so it's fantastic. Um, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen over the next 35 minutes, and I shouldn't joke about it um, And I'll, while my slack's turned off, but um, let's enjoy this next 35 minutes. Um, so look, um, no, it's fantastic to have you on here. We've been working together for a very long time, so I was very excited for the chance to do one of these sessions with you. Um, and yeah, I, I, um, I thought I'd, I'd actually just, uh, I guess, to get a bit of introduction from you, I guess it's easy to ask, what's a, what's a head of innovation? Because it's one of those job titles I think people sometimes smirk a little bit about behind your back. So here's a chance to, to explain what it actually means. <laughs> yeah, no, look, it's, it's the first thing that I said as well when, um, when it was kind of updated and I was like, I need to get that on a business card, first of all. Uh, it just looks fantastic. So um, essentially head of innovation uh, because I kind of work across the, the entire business really. Um, so my role kind of spans not only across the technology side, but also the product side, which is digital as well as physical. Um, so I was kind of involved back in the days, you know, creating these uh, energy drink cans as well. These are the new ones from Ghostbusters, which will be available in February. Amazing, by the way, we'll, we'll get back to that. So essentially it's just, just the role name, uh, which kind of means that no one sort of really knows what you do. <laughs> so uh, kind of working across um, all things and in all areas. So, I mean, at the moment we're doing like a, a bit of a rollout across our systems, which goes across accounting, finance, logistics, supply chain, tech, mobile, web. Uh, so, yeah, that's essentially what uh, head of innovation means. <laughs> yeah, cool. And, yeah, I like to give you flack for it, but it's, um, yeah, it is a real, like, it's a really interesting, diverse role that you do. And I know... Um, just from other people I talked to in the industry who you've sort of spoken to or met along the way, and it's amazing the sort of network you build in that role. Um, and um, yeah, I um, I just wanted to touch base things with drinking this. I'm drinking the guava oxy shred, and, and this is something because we work together on your e-commerce operation um, a lot. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey into yeah, going from selling big tubs of protein online to um, to all of a sudden having these cans in your um, in in supermarkets and what what that journey was like for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so look, over the last kind of eight years since I've been at EHP, um, oh, I'm going to use the I word again, innovation. So it's kind of at the forefront of everything that we've done in terms of our marketing strategies, in terms of our products, and um, you know, over the last kind of six years, we've really expanded out that oxy shred range. So we had the initial powders in the tubs, which were the oxy shred OG. And again, the reason they were so kind of explosive in the industry when they first came out is that's the time when all of those supplements that had DMAA and DMBA or pseudoephedrine um, kind of all got banned. 
And so as soon as that had happened, Oxystrobe was kind of the first one that was in there. It kind of did the same sort of stuff, but it was also not banned. And in Australia, they were really, really strict on that. So it kind of really just blew up. But the main reason that we were so kind of expansive and so successful with that product was that it was it actually tasted good. Um, like, again, you probably tried a few different pre-workouts and, and those kind of things. And, um, yeah, again, the flavors are normally like it's green or it's blue and it's yeah, it tastes a little bit like rocket fuel. So that was sort of the approach that we started to look at when we were looking to expand the line. We said, oh, cool, what we want to get into is really those ready-to-drink beverages. Now, it's a completely different model because with the tubs, all right, your, your cost of goods and your margin is a little bit higher. But when you get to cans, it's then all about kind of volume. So what we had to do was make something that's going to be very similar to the OxyShred uh, kind of powder as a as the brand, but make sure it's also just as effective, but that can also be kind of um, kept in a can because things like acetyl carnitine, not to note out too much there, um, when it's stored for too long, the acetyl group turns into acetic acid, which is vinegar, uh, and then your kind of flavor just goes out the window. So we kind of looked at the market and just thought, you know what, we could make a make a real crack into this because the kind of key thing that people were saying to us is, look, I'm going to the gym or I'm coming out of work. I just don't want to have to carry a tub with me everywhere and then water and then chuck a scoop in and then the water's not cold. It doesn't taste great. So like, cool. So how do we do this? So, um, yeah, we started formulating that about three years ago and just went And um, look, it's been really, really successful because we kept kind of our core ethos, which was clean ingredients, products that's super effective, and then it just tastes good. And I think that's, that's the kind of really awesome thing. You've got the guava on there. I've got the Bahama breed. Oh, sorry, yeah. And um, it, it doesn't leave that gross taste on your tongue. You don't crash after it. And um, that, that's kind of how we really got into there. And yeah, it's been an amazing rollout so far. It's really growing. Yeah. And um, and is it, oh, this is a, just a fun question. Has it had any um, secondary target audiences that it's discovered? Like I know sometimes there's energy, obviously, tradies are famous for for grabbing energy drinks and downing 10 of them by, by smoke. But yeah, have you had any un, unintended um, customer bases along the way? No, tradies is a, is a really big one. Um, and again, oh, I probably shouldn't be mentioning brands too much, but you know, all, all my trading mates are all in kind of like the monster energy and mother and that kind of thing. And uh, when we're playing baseball, I just brought a couple of cases of the energy drinks and then they kind of got onto that. They got their mates onto that. Uh, one of the ones that really did come across was kind of like, you know, your gamers um, which again, we didn't kind of thought we were going to hit because again, our kind of target audience is a little bit different, but um, tradies came across, which was good. Um, but also like we've had quite a bit um, mums as well. So um, one of the things that my sister mentioned to me, cause she's like sort of late thirties is she noticed a lot of the girls leaving Pilates and getting these cans. Mm. And I was like, hang on, like, where are you getting these from? Like, oh, the Pilates place actually stocks them. And so um, that's kind of what we've seen is like that secondary kind of groups really coming in that weren't really our target audience, which have been good because it tastes good and it kind of doesn't hit you over the head with how much caffeine it's got in it. So it's kind of a really reasonable level. So to give you a buzz without sort of knocking you off. And um, yeah, look, the first thing you asked was what's it going to do to me? The biggest thing is it's going to put a smile on your face, like those mood enhancers, which is I think, uh, yeah, the fourth one down. Oh, mate, it's, it's incredible. About 10 minutes after you've sipped. That's a good segue into one of the next things I was going to talk about because I wanted to sort of dig in a little bit more into sort of your journey and why you're doing stuff. And one thing that everyone, the first thing anyone says about you is you've always managed to have a smile on your face. And, um, and yeah, it's a pretty big, stressful job you've got and you have to do hard things a lot of the time and make make lots of decisions and stuff. And, 
yeah so how do you and, and you've also been in the same been with the hp for a long time how do you keep um what what keeps you up and about other than copious amounts of oxy street <laughs> well look yeah i've got i got three of these bad boys uh, <laughs> or is there bad. nothing else except for the copious amounts of oxy street maybe <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, it really is a good question. And that's sort of something that, that kind of comes up a lot as well. Um, I think very early on in my career, um, I had a really great manager, Jules, who's still with us now. She's our chief experience officer. And um, when I was kind of getting into project management and kind of going through some of that training with her directly, like the key things that pop up are, you know, sometimes you really can't control the situation that's occurred, but you can control your response to it. Um, so one of the key things that I always kind of try and implement day in, day out, or even when we're looking at new software and those kind of things is don't think so much about the problem. Like don't get stuck in that. Think about the solution, the things that you can control, because that's sort of what will help you really, really progress. And so I find that, um, you know, even with our internal team, sometimes if they're getting really, really stressed. You've got to get kind of change the mindset and the fixation away from the stressor to the solution and kind of how we kind of get there. Yeah. Again, not always easy to do, right? Like, remember when our kind of website crashed and burned and we're like, there's literally nothing that we can do. But at the same time, right, when there's nothing that you can do, you're like, okay, cool. We can't do anything on the website. What can we control? All right, gorgeous. We can still do all the messaging there. Clavio, we can still do our emails there. SMS, we can still respond to all those sorts of things. So I think, um, yeah, the key thing is just really, really kind of focusing in on the things that are actually going to help them progress and not kind of get stuck where you are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And yeah, I think that there's always, yeah, there's always curveballs and, and complications in what we do. And it's, um, and it makes it, I, I can speak from the, the person often has to help you solve those problems when you're coming from that frame of actually, all right, let's, we're here where we are now. Let's just focus forward. We can debrief on it later or whatever. But, um, but yeah, the ability to, to get into that mindset, the sooner you're in, in that that frame of mind and working towards the solution with what you've got the the quicker you get to that solution and yeah i i, I think that's um yeah something that makes yeah certainly makes it much much more constructive to work together yeah um, that's it and that, that's the whole thing with working together as well is like not to get into that really toxic mind frame like we're mentioning there where you just start blaming each other and start yelling at each other leave the project managers to do that but just kind of <laughs> sort out the problems and come back to that stuff at the end <laughs> yeah and um and yeah, and so like I, we realized when we were talking the other day, we've actually been working together for about five years or maybe even a little bit more. And um, yeah, I don't think I've got many other, I've got some other clients I've had for that long, but probably not worked as closely with a single person for such a long period of time. And so I, um, I, I sort of wanted to almost ask like, yeah, how, how have you managed to stick with the same, the same partner for that long in terms of your, your tech delivery? And um, yeah, like it's a, it's a, it's a it's a pretty stressful area at times and there's yeah there's it's a it's a hard um it's a hard job for both parties and it's yeah it's hard to keep it going for that long so i'd, I'd love to get some insight from you into why what, yeah what what um what, yeah how it's how it's panned out this way <laughs> yeah that's it's a great question and, and first of all like martin didn't pay me to say what i'm going to say next guys just fyi um look it, it really comes down to the actual people that you're working with um because at the end of the day you know, a lot of the, the agencies and, and vendors you sort of work with, they do similar kind of things, right? They're going to say the same things. They're going to work with the same companies, the same products. They're going to do similar implementations, right? What it comes down to is the quality and the communication. So, I mean, with Overdose, I remember we were speaking to you, 
oh, geez, I can't remember. It was maybe like March in the year that we ended up going live. Um, and I think you were quite a small small agency at the time, Martin. Was it 12 of you or something like that? Yeah, we just, um, I think we'd, it was actually just after. So Laura and I had our own little business doing Shopify stuff. And um, yeah, we sort of got um, amalgamated into Overdose. And yeah, um, EHP was sort of one of the first big, bigger businesses we sort of pitched to in that in that first few yeah. months. So we were sort of finding our feet at that point in time. And <laughs> Yeah, trying to we were growing pretty quickly, and um, yeah, joined the overdose crew to expand quickly, and so yeah, there was a lot, a lot going on at that point in time, and um, yeah, and and so EHP was sort of one of the first, um, first sort of big Magento to Shopify migrations we really did, and um, and I think God, EHP yeah. was going through a fairly similar phase of that rapid growth at that point in time as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, that that word does scar me. Uh, again, these are. These are- <laughs> These are my opinions, kind of not not the company as a whole, but oh, like our Magento kind of setup was, was a bit of a nightmare. But um, yeah, look, in terms of the partnership, I think the most important thing there is like really working with partners that one that you can trust, but are sort of moving in the same direction as you, but that will also work with you in that same kind of way. I think that's where we've been able to sort of work really well together for such a long period of time. Obviously, you'll hit roadblocks at times. You got you got to kind of do different things, but. Uh, we were in that rapid period of expansion. You were in that rapid period of expansion. Um, we liked to work really dynamically. Um, some would say, you know, a little little bit sort of unprepared at times. And, you know, we like we like to throw curveballs at you. Um, but that was kind of the main thing because we we're going through that rapid growth, right? Day on day, week on week, we would have new things pop up, new requirements that we just had to kind of switch and just go. Mm. And that's sort of why we've been able to work with you so well is that, you know, we've kind of got our, our long-term sort of roadmap. We've got the, the features, the projects we're wanting to work through. But then when we're like, hey, we want to do an upsell, you know, that's kind of like, oh, yeah, here's one that we could potentially do, which would take three, four hours or something. Like, oh, cool. Can we slot that in the next week or so? So I think that's the first part is finding a vendor or a supplier that you, you genuinely trust that is going to work with the way that you need to work with. And then I think the other part is you've got to kind of have that, that trust with them as well. Like you're not always going to have the perfect situation. Things are going to go wrong. But as long as you sort of have that mutual respect together, uh, I think that's sort of the main thing. And look, you know, you and I have, we've had some pretty heated conversations over the years. But um, like I think at the end of the day, you know, we, we just get down to our right, cool, we'll, like the situation we're in, what are we going to do? How do we get past it? How do we solve it? And and kind of how do we move forwards? Um, but yeah, five years, Jesus. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess the other thing would probably be um, like the ability of, of the partnership as well. So like I think one of the main things when we came over to you, we had two kind of key requirements. One was our, our mobile apps and the other one was Magento. So we're like, cool, if someone hasn't done Magento migrations, done we're not even touching them um and then we need someone to also do the sort of app integrations into shopify because again that was really custom at that stage um and so that's kind of how we sort of landed on on you guys but um no it's been really really good to kind of work together and kind of as we've grown you know you've kind of grown at the same stage i think you've grown a little bit faster um but we've been able to sort of map together i guess how we want to work and how we want to progress yeah, I think um yeah, like I think the growing together is definitely a, a big thing. Like I think it, it, it does businesses that are in similar stages, I think, yeah, can work. It, it does mean you've got some similarities in what you're doing. Um and I think the other thing you, you touched on there, like around 
yeah, like I think the, the the difficult conversations and stuff, like the the probably the best thing about working with someone for a while is these days we still will have a day where we'll have to have a difficult conversation, but it's probably in the same tone as this conversation we're having now, and we just cut to it and, and jump into it. And um, yeah, like it's been um, yeah the, the earlier you can establish that building of trust and getting to that level where you can be having those conversations with that healthiness to them and and feeling like yeah like i i feel like an extension of the ehp team when we're working together and i hope that that feels like that for from your end and i think where that happens that's where you can operate at the most effective level all the time yeah no 100 percent. And, and even you know some of the devs and on your side you know we've been working with them since kind of the, the very very start as well and um yeah, no, it's just been awesome to even see the team at Overdose, like the, the original team that we're kind of working with, which was yourself, uh, Sophie, Laura, kind of still going up at, at the same sort of time. So, yeah, it's been awesome. Oh, cool. And um, and um, I, I sort of wanted to cut over to um, just like talking on growth and scale and all that sort of stuff. Like I know like we've sort of gone through it a little bit as well in what we do, and I'm sure you have as well. As you grow, you sort of have to start bringing in additional additional structure and processes and more people and all of that sort of stuff. But I, I, I think from, from at least from my view, it looks like EHP have done a really good job of keeping, yeah, both nimble and innovative, which I think are two things that are great to aspire to. I, I think I think you've done a really good job of that. Um, and I'd love to get any insights into sort of how you feel that's been achieved or also if you think I'm actually wrong there and maybe you're a big bureaucracy now with red tape everywhere, I don't know. But um, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Um, again, yeah, sorry, i got to say the word, word again. But, um, yeah, look, innovation really is at the forefront of sort of everything that we do, right? And um, I think the awesome thing is I started here when I think we had about 10 employees as well. And so... The entire kind of mindset of what we do in, in all the departments is all right so how do we move quickly and kind of keep progressing but then also have a way to kind of you know fill fill in the backlog the things we actually need to do right like cleaning things up as we go so what we've tried to do is as soon as we've kind of brought in new people into new teams or we're expanding in new areas is keeping that fine balance which again it gets really difficult at times and there's times when we've gotten it wrong between progressing rapidly um, and having zero checks to having too many checks and getting no progression. Um, so that that's kind of the, the thing we've always sort of really toyed with. Um, that's where like, you know, if you have too many project managers, too many QAs, you know, it can really sort of hold things back because again, you're looking for perfection. And one of the things we have up in the wall is, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress. And again, with tech, that can be a difficult line to, <laughs> to kind of walk as you know, right? Because yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're doing a new integration and it's not working well, that, that's catastrophic for your entire business. But a product page is an example. It does have an image in the right spot um, or your upsell is kind of not exactly what you want to be, but it's still working. These are things you can kind of keep progressing with. So uh, the way that we've sort of really been able to keep it really kind of innovative and really agile with everything that we do is just making sure that we're making smart decisions um, and, again, one of the things that we spoke about when we first came across, so our, our Magento site, uh, we were on Magento Community 1.9.1 from memory. Um, it had so much customization. And the amazing thing when we're on the, the Magento website, to give it its credit, right, is we had, I think, the four different websites on a single Magento backend. We could manage everything from that backend. We could customize everything that we wanted to. But the flip side of that was... Whenever you want to install like a new app, like an upsell app or a checkout extension, everything had to be customized. 
Um, and look, it, it, it's great if you're a tech company, but I think we just found that was kind of very, very difficult. So, you know, that's why we sort of moved across to, to Shopify. But and that sort of the key lessons from there were, look, don't customize things if you don't have to, only customize and build really technical complex products when you need to, right? Find workarounds where things are out of the box, utilize them and kind of change your business processes a bit where you do need to build things custom, like the, the bundles, dynamic bundles that we've got, you've got to build those as, as custom things, right? But these are the business necessities versus the business wants. So that's sort of what we've, we've always kind of tried to balance. And when you take that approach, especially with different softwares as well, um, that's sort of what's really helped us to kind of keep progressing because, um, you know, uh, like the easiest example for us, right, is we use zero for our B2B, B2B things, right? We kind of hacked that so sales orders go through. Zero uh, is an accounting platform, so you can't do inventory updates without absolutely breaking things, right? So, you know, if you're selling from the same inventory, you need to make a 100-unit adjustment. You've got to have a credit note in there. You've got to have an invoice. You know, it's, it's a nightmare to do. But what that allowed us to do was not have to then have a kind of another platform. So then in terms of being nimble with that, you just have to kind of accept that, hey, look, zero, we just can't get inventory into but it can do all your sales process, all your invoicing with one click, right? So it's doing two out of the three benefits. Whereas other systems we could have moved to specifically with B2B ordering, again, then you're kind of getting into this all complexity, how they're going to tie in your warehouses, inventory forecasting, like it's just creating other problems. So uh, it's kind of that that sort of mindset of what we've, we've kind of gone through. And I think, did, did we chat about, um, what did we call it, like floating tech stack during the first lockdown? Do you remember that? Yeah, vague. It's a, it's a, I can't remember that term, but yeah, like I, everything you've just said, like I just couldn't agree more. In fact, yeah. I want to take a couple more, a couple of notes from there to put into our sales deck because it, it refines <laughs> probably how I feel about the way we want to approach stuff. Like I think, yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Like it's so yeah. easy to, to design a tech stack where you, you aim for the best of everything. And the, the, yeah, and the, the bottom line is you do that and you're, you're never going to get there. Um, and you're going to create like a lot of, a lot of complexity that actually the the problems the, the the what is it the the solutions bigger than the problem or whatever they say and yeah like i can like i didn't know you were just using zero for all of that part of your business and but it just shows like you you can do it and, and um yeah and and if you were to implement a, a huge um integration with lots of customization to do that then you are um, yeah you're you're going to be stuck to that and um actually even with talking about b2b like by doing that too it also means if say shopify b2b gets to a level where you know what we can start trialing that now you're not beholden to other systems and com complexities that prevent you from doing that and that's what i think working with as much stuff sort of out of the box as possible that's when when people do that we see that they're able to then go and add customization on when they want to easier or adapt to new features earlier and quicker so yeah it's um it's a it's a great place to be but yeah so floating stack so what does that mean yeah yeah i mean look just before we jump into that just uh if shopify is listening right now guys uh shopify b2b happy to use if you can put in credit notes and a zero integration so that's just a product request for us while we're on there just a shameless call out um <laughs> they're not on here yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, if you're, if you're listening, mate, just make sure you add that. Uh, same for you, Toby. So, uh, yeah, look, floating tech stack, again, I don't know if that's like a real thing or something that we just kind of made up as we're going, but um, essentially not not really being locked into one platform. Like, remember when we locked out that um, EHP Australia website? What did we do that in, like, four days or something with, with Sharp? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, we were all at home locked away in lockdown at that point in time. We had nothing to do. So we, we yeah, I think we we did, um, we, we managed to pull that together in about four days, I think. Yeah. 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 Dangerous precedent. Cause then we wanted to do Canada. Is is like, well, did it in four days before let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, so, so little things like that. Right. So in terms of like floating tech stacks, sort of what we mean is we're not locked into one sort of enterprise level platform, which kind of does heaps and heaps of functions. So it's kind of one of the things that we've really tried to balance a little bit and not to go too far down this path because we could talk for hours on, on ERPs and scoping and scaling and that kind of stuff, right? So amazing things about ERP platforms like SAP, NetSuite, um, Dynamics, all that kind of stuff is everything's in the one spot. Everything works the way you've built it to work. Um, everything's kind of pre-customized and it works the way that your business works. Now, the problem is if you need to pivot, say, for example, during a global pandemic, you can't pivot quickly with those systems because you have to go through and undo essentially 12 months of customization development work. Um, so what we did is lucky because we were actually scoping out um, an ERP system at that stage. And we kind of said, yeah, look, it's really not the right fit for us at the moment. It's very regimented um, and we're, we're just growing too quick. We kind of don't have our processes down in that way. So in terms of floating te stack, tech stack, right, sort of isolating the functions into different areas and have them sort of connect in together. So Shopify for all things e-commerce, right? We're like, cool, everything e-com is going to be Shopify. Uh, in terms of our warehousing logistics, that was going to be another arm, right? So those were going to talk together in terms of integrations, but not be in the one portal. Uh, mobile apps as well, keeping that, again, separate. That's what we're doing. Inventory forecasting as well, keeping that into a, a separate area. B2B sales, again, another separate area. So what this sort of really allowed us to do during that time was, okay, our wholesale distribution has essentially gone to, to naught because none of the shops are open. No one, no one can do that, right? And so first thing first, what do we do? Okay, pivot, let's build another Shopify website, right? Because e-com, we can knock that up because that's an isolated system. Um, in terms of our warehousing, cool, we can plug that directly into our warehousing because it doesn't need to go through like an intermediary system or a, or a middleware to kind of get that up and running. Um, and so what that really allowed us to do was as we need to kind of add other things on, we were able to do that and really expand really quick. Now, if we look on the flip side of that, imagine we're using something like a, an SAP or a NetSuite at that stage and we're using, you know, Adobe Commerce. For us to then go and uh, add another storefront, right, or to add an upsell technology into that website, you go from spending, say, three, four hours to do that to sort of three or four weeks or even months, depending on kind of what you've needed to do. So by keeping things relatively out of box, keeping on the upgrade path for everything we're doing, we're able to kind of really pivot quickly, get those things up and running really, really quick, which again, the e-commerce store off the bat kind of, you know, it really helped to pick us up that slack that we lost through wholesale. So yeah, when we say floating tech stack, that's sort of what I mean is like different functions, different areas, not in the one platform. Yeah. Now, the one downside to that is, as you know, we had to build a whole bunch of middleware through Google Cloud. Um, which I think Matthias built out for us. So, because again, you've got to make sure that those, those platforms communicate together. So this kind of floating tech stack model, it only really works if your functions kind of aren't directly dependent on each other. Um, and then as you scale, you then kind of hit this level of technical complexity. Then when you're like, okay, now we need an enter enterprise middleware platform to keep this running that's when you sort of then need to consolidate certain areas of that stack together. So we're looking to do that at the moment. Um, so that then that's your new baseline of how you can kind of progress. So that, that's sort of what we mean by floating tech stack, where it allows us to kind of add other things into the, into the sort of hierarchy without stopping and blocking everything else. 
yeah, cool. And um, and yeah, like I think that's that's a good insight into it because it's also very easy to put a slide together that says we've got a floating tech stack and we can drop anything in, take it out straight away. But yeah, there, there is a an ability to do that. Um, yeah. Oh, we've got a great question here from Nat. Thanks for jumping on. Um, so um, could you elaborate on the key elements of OxyShred's current marketing strategy? Um, how does the brand differentiate itself in a competitive market and what channels or platforms have been particularly effective in reaching and engaging the audience? That's a fantastic question. That's a great question, Nat. Um, oh, can we keep that up? Is there a way we can see that? Oh, yeah, yeah beautiful. Um, yeah, look, great question. Um, so in terms of how we've done that, we've used a couple of different channels. Um, need to take a step back first before we kind of go forwards. Uh, iOS 13 and iOS 14, um, everyone will remember that's essentially when Facebook ads and meta ads just went kind of down the toilet, right? Mm -hmm. So there were days when we used to get 20 times ROAS uh, through the Facebook platform mm -hmm. and days where we just couldn't scale up fast enough. Uh, those days long, long gone. And when we looked at this kind of last year, we we're sort of really flattening with growth. It was about 14 months ago. Um, and then we looked at it and we're like, yeah, look, okay, the key, the key areas, the key differentiators we have Roxy Shred. We know that it's the best product, right? We, we know that all our customers know that the results we get. So a couple of different things before we even get into the marketing strategy, like, cool, what do we need to do? We need to have clinical trials to actually show that the products work. So we've actually been engaging, um, the university in the U S and we've now got our fourth clinical trial that's just launched this week, which I'll send you a link to after this. Um, showing that the OxyShred powders and also the OxyShred cans do actually result in, in fat loss and boosting metabolism, all these kinds of things, right? So we know that it's now, we always knew it was science back, now it's actually research backed as well. So we kind of have those claims that we can sit on. But the biggest part was it was really changing the marketing strategy as a whole. So before, you know, we had our different funnels set up in terms of um, uh, kind of acquisition and then sort of the new markets we're targeting and then we'd have the the retargeting kind of funnel all going through there. And then we saw that just really wasn't working. So then we've gone, okay, cool. Let's take a huge chunk of the budget out of Facebook ads and let's do it in something that's actually going to build the brand as a whole, right? So getting back to the, the brand core fundamentals, which were one, you've got to build that community. You've got to build that experience and that FOMO, right? So people really want to be a part of something. OxyShred's cool. So we need to make OxyShred cool again. Uh, we need to get like, you know, those young influencers are really pushing that are really relevant with their communities. Facebook, Instagram algorithms are all choking reach, all choking growth for there. So like, okay, cool. So what do we do here? So we kind of melded together this sort of hybridized strategy where took a whole chunk of money out of what we're doing paid advertising. And then we chucked it into our influencer model and built up our brand ambassadors, brand all-stars and brand athletes. Um, then looking at the new growth channels. So at that stage, you know, Snapchat was also starting to taper off. We saw, cool. TikTok is the growing platform. That's where everyone's coming from. That's where all the views are. Um, so saw a, a stat yesterday that your average person on TikTok, which is a movie length worth of, of content every day, mm. right? So absolutely phenomenal. So in terms of us kind of getting into that new market, those new areas, we're like, cool, we've got to be on TikTok. So we've got to get a whole bunch of TikTokers. So our entire brand strategy kind of pivoted again, almost overnight. And we went to TikTok as kind of our one of our new kind of streams. And so we've got a whole bunch of TikTokers um, as part of our brand athletes, brand ambassadors that kind of really, really push. And so the way that we really differentiate ourselves in the market, right, is there's heaps of energy drinks, like you were saying, heaps of pre-workouts, heaps of proteins and that kind of thing. 
But what we're doing is we're actually creating that experience that you're not going to get anywhere else, right? Mm. Where people really want to be a part of it. They want to be part of the EHP Labs community. They want to be part of the Oxytrade community. You know, they've got that fear of missing out. And you really got to drive that demand in terms of your marketing, right? Because you can't just say, hey, this is the best product on the market. Well, we know it is, but, you know, you can't just sell it in terms of your marketing. So you've actually got to have social proofing. You've actually got to have people that know what they're talking about. You've got to have those micro communities kind of all blending together. Um, so that's kind of how we, we really sort of pivoted that model to really turn around. And look, then we started to see some really, really awesome brand growth. So uh, sorry, Facebook, uh, if the account manager is watching there. But um, yeah, we we big chunk out of that. Um, does that sort of answer your question, Nat? Yeah. Well, she's, she's not here to answer, but I'll give a thumbs up for it. I, I learned a lot from that. Um, um, and what's um, like, are you seeing any other, are there any emerging channels that you've got your eyes across at the moment that you think are going to be big over the next sort of 6, 12, 18 months? Oh, you mean in terms of other social channels? Oh, just like, I guess like TikTok's probably going to get to that. It's going to mature like Facebook and Instagram and everything else has and the 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 cool kids who are much cooler than, than me are, are still going to, um, yeah, fine, look for something new. Um, but, yeah, so what, how do you look for what's next there? That's a great question. And, and yeah, look, geez, there's so many of these channels popping up. Look, I think Discord's another one that's really popping up. Uh, again, really simple way to kind of host your own communities. So I think that'll be up there. Um, in terms of that, you just got to be really in, in that area and in those channels. Um, so... Again, a lot of our social media team, again, they're, they're kind of quite young, right? They're in their early 20s. They've grown up with that their entire lives, whereas you and I, we didn't get that until our, our probably 20 so it really came to the forefront. So it's really having people in the know in that area, and that's sort of where we really try and expand is, is kind of having people that actually know that entire section, and they're the ones helping us sort of grow in that. So that's sort of how we really stay on top of that, just making sure that our... Yeah, fantastic. And um, and another channel which um, I wanted to touch on, um, it's one I've seen over the last 12 months. It's a really cool one. Like through um, Tapcart, you've, you've launched mobile apps into all your markets and that's yeah. been really powerful. Um, can you talk us a little bit through, yeah, what, what Tapcart is and how you're using that? Or is that too yeah. much of it? I'm not here to sell Tapcart. I just, <laughs> I, I'm interested I, I, it's for, to give some information to the listeners out there. Yeah, no, no, all good. Uh, again, I agreed to, to kind of speak uh, speak on behalf of Tapcart, you know, whenever it would pop up for them as well. So, Stacey, hopefully you're uh, you're watching this. Give us a nice discount the next month. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, Tap, Tapcart's an interesting one. We've had our own mobile applications kind of running for the last ooh, six, seven years, I think. Um, and we, we've kind of learned a lot of really, really key lessons over that time. So we've had a couple of different fitness apps that we've built that kind of really plugged in. And then as we were kind of growing that, we're like, cool, well, what we really want to do is sort of really tie together um, the shopping experience, like a really good shopping experience um, with all that nutrition content that we've got, right? Because all of our influencers, we've got training programs, got meal plans, all that kind of thing. So what we did is we went out, we built the most, most epic kind of training platform for the HP Labs app. I think we launched that about three years ago. I think you remember we did the whole builder box functionality before, you know, Recharge kind of rolled that out. Um, did all this really custom stuff. But what it came down to after that was cool, but the shopping experience sucks. Um, mm. People aren't checking out, people aren't converting. And we're like, cool, what's going on here? And then what we found was cool, what we actually need to do is really focusing on the actual shopping experience as number one. And then everything else comes after that. So the reason we kind of partnered with Tapcard is we went through a few of the demos, we kind of checked and we saw, look, what they can do is the shopping experience is. is 
is pretty perfect, right? And it's not like the old kind of fake mobile apps that they used to have, you know, it's like a web view or cores, you know, from Magento times. It's actually its own, its own mobile app. And that's kind of what customers are really wanting at the moment. And because it's a mobile app, you know, the caching's better, the speed's better, downloads again, much, much better. But in terms of the interactions, it's a lot better as well. And the other reason it's sort of been really, really effective for us is we can do push notifications and you're not sort of limited by SMS costs or email deliverability rates or privacies and that kind of thing. If someone pops in, you can kind of send them all those different marketing messages sort of as you need. So what we found is the other thing that we were sort of missing as well, right, um, as you know, is sometimes if, if someone's using private browsing, incognito mode, all that kind of stuff, cookie-less commerce, it, it's just not there to where it needs to be. So you also get that first-party data out of TapCart. Um, so then we can kind of use that now in different marketing channels, sales promotions, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think I think the most... The reason it's been sort of really effective for us in terms of TapCart is our mobile experience in terms of checkout is really, really sleek and it's really, really quick. Um, to be honest, like until we redid the website, it was it was way better than the website. Now I think they're kind of par and par. Um, and yet really successful for us. But again, going back to that core company I spoke about earlier was we built this really custom app previously, but it didn't solve that like primary use for our HP Labs customers, which is easy to check out, value adding. Like that's just not what it was doing. So instead flipped over to TapCart, small amount of customization we need to do in terms of the bundles, uh, which I think, you know, you built out for us, which was an absolute mission, but um, that's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, and um, and who uses the app? Like what, what, sort of, what, what sort of segment of your customers does it appeal to? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, put me on the spot here. Sorry, uh, I didn't put that in the notes, <laughs> right, but I'm, I'm keen to understand because I've got theories about who uses the an app that it'll be uh, engaged customers, the loyal loyal customers that download it. But I'd love to know if that's actually true and if you've got any insight into that. Yeah, no, you're actually very spot on. So it's it's kind of the ones we've had multiple purchases from, uh, but also sort of the younger generation as well. So sort of less than thirty their expectation now of what e-commerce should be is actually through a mobile application as well. And, um, you know, you see that through apps like Sheen, if you've heard of them and um, kind of they're entirely mobile focused. Um, and so what, what we've sort of done is we've kind of gone away from that whole promotional side to get app downloads as well. So you remember like, you know, three, four years ago, the whole thing was cool, run some, some advertising campaigns, do Apple search ads, that kind of stuff. But yeah. it's so expensive now. So post-purchase journey, track your order, all this kind of stuff. So that's sort of been our sort of most engaged people. But um, also doing app exclusives uh, has also been like really, really effective for us as well. So again, TapCart, really awesome shopping experience for us uh, where we can just put single variants in there. Boom, Apple Pay, you're out in, in kind of one click. So that, that's kind of our, our audience has been using it. Yeah, fantastic. Right. And um, I'll just do a quick shout out just for if anyone else is listening and wants to throw in a question, chuck it in now because we'll, um, yeah, we'll start winding up soon. Um, yeah. the, the last thing I wanted to just finish, sort of almost finish off on was, um, yeah, it's obviously Cyber Weekend. So thought we should have a chat about how that's all panning out for you. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear what, what, what's on the, yeah, what, what's been the, the big campaign this, this Black Friday or Black Month or whatever you want to call it now. Yeah, look, it's really evolved, hey. I mean, a few years ago, you know, Black Friday, if you're going on, on the Thursday, that was sort of frowned upon, and then it sort of drifted out to the Monday and then the week before. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I saw 
some brands were even going at the end of October. Like as soon as Halloween was finished, they were starting Black Friday. So um, yeah, look for us, we went early as well. I think we went on the 2nd of November or something like that. Um, just kind of really kind of keep up for there. But um, for us, what we really sort of focused on it as well, like I said a, a little while ago in terms of our strategy, was really focusing on that, that experience um, because what you don't want to kind of get into the habit of is that really, really aggressive discounting all the time. Uh, but also because we have a lot of um, kind of companies that also sell our products as well. So we don't want to just kind of do massive discounts there because then that's cutting into them as well. And um, obviously they wouldn't be very happy. So uh, what we've really focused on this time is just kind of like a, a blanket kind of discount across all of our subs, but then creating really, really awesome like stacks or bundles. Um, then get like a heavy discount. So yeah, shameless shout out. If you use BF20, um, you'll get sort of the best deals you can at the moment. But uh, yeah, bundles are kind of up to 60% off. And, and again, that way we can kind of bundle a whole bunch of things together. So if you're looking for weight loss, you know, you get your protein, you get your oxy shred, you get your cans, get your acetyl carnitine, you get some awesome merch kind of all together. Um, but yeah, the biggest one, which it hasn't quite made it to Australia yet, unfortunately, is uh, the Ghostbusters. So that's not coming till February, but that's a massive part of our US campaign. That's that's really, really exciting for us. So that's sort of been our, our big campaign. And what about you guys? What have you seen your other sort of um, vendors doing? Yeah, I think it's the same. It's the, it's that now that it's a month, it feels like like two, two or three years ago, we'd sort of wake up off on, on Black Friday and be all ready to go at the keyboard for the day, expecting, um, yeah, to... to yeah everything to go gangbusters but really it's yeah it, it's been a much steadier flow where yeah everything started um yeah st started probably a week or two ago at least and yeah, yeah it's um and it's still but it, it has its peaks and troughs now and i think it's yeah it's, it's maturing as a as an event i guess where <laughs> it's um yeah i don't know if it's going to get to a point where it starts to become diluted um yeah i i, I thought perhaps it, it would at some point but i also thought that it was gonna when when it first like black friday was sort of a thing in the u.s probably for two or three years before australia really grappled onto it and it has just continued to grow and it's yeah it's as it's a global phenomenon and yeah i guess it's um it, it means that people don't have to worry about getting all their sales on boxing day now they get it all um yeah get, get it all out of the way in november so we can take a holiday after christmas hopefully <laughs> pre-christmas pre and yeah i thought it was funny i was actually explaining to some of the younger people in our team what uh, cyber monday actually meant and they're like what yeah. do you mean and i was like yeah when the internet was first going like that was the sales day for the internet and it was just like <laughs> yeah no absolutely and um yeah, I think it's it's really um it's really interesting to see the way it continues to evolve. Um, and I'm starting to pay for being outside here. I've had a tradie go a mile ago at the start of the session, uh, um, and an airplane fly over. So sorry if you've had a bit of background noise. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it continues to evolve over the next few years. But I think the the brands that have the the brand capital to be able to offer sort of more value-based promotions rather than just heavy discounts like they're the ones who who are who are flying and will i think continue to they, they can they don't just have that that fall off a cliff the day after um black friday or cyber monday like they it builds momentum going into the into the rest of the holiday season so it's um yeah it's really um yeah it's always interesting to see it's always a little i find a little bit unpredictable but it's also really exciting to see what all the different um yeah all the different brands we work with come up with every year yeah that's it and you've got to really have set yourself up in a good position as well um 
because yeah, look, if, if people are only buying when you're doing this super, super aggressive discounts, then you're going to have sort of other issues there. And um, yeah, I think that's what's been interesting to see with a, with a couple of brands as well. Like, again, there's a few, I'm not, I'm not going to say it, but I'll only buy when it's aggressive on discount because that's sort of how I've been trained with them. So I think you've, you've got to make sure that you're only doing a few of those big sales every year. So when you do them, they're super effective, but also customers aren't reliant on that to buy from your brand. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's brands as well that don't do it where there's been a couple where I've been watching out for the brand to go on sale and then they haven't. And I'm like, oh, now I'm going to have to go and buy. I'll, I'll buy from them at full price in a month or two, which that happens to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, but no, look, um, I'll just, um, yeah, to wrap up, I guess just, um, yeah, thank you for joining us today. And um, yeah, it's been absolute pleasure working with you for the last few years and hopefully for, several years more and yeah um, it's great to get a bit of an insight into different parts of the ehp story I've, I've learned a few things i didn't even know today and um yeah i hope everyone who's listening and tuned in has found it as interesting as i have so thanks very much brendan and have a um, good good luck to everyone out there for the rest of the the cyber weekend or whatever we call it awesome thanks martin pleasure to be here all right cheers thanks see you guys